For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Come on! Well, when we all saw Stanford at Washington on the schedule for November 3rd, we knew it was going to be a high-stakes matchup. And it is. Just not quite the way it turned out. We're going to talk about Stanford at Washington, which happens this Saturday. Here on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Thursday, November the 1st, 2018. First month of November, it's already here. Holy smokes, wow. Season has gone by so fast. Hope you had a terrific Halloween. Hope you didn't eat too much candy. And glad that you decided to join us for the TreeCast. I'm in Detroit, Clarity. Uh, thank you for being here with us. And we're gonna have we're gonna have a lot of fun on the show as we always do. We're gonna take a look at the high stakes matchup between Stanford and Washington. Only it's not direct control of the Pac-12 North at stake as we thought might be the case. It's survival in the Pac-12 North race at all. As now everyone's playing for second as of this moment behind Washington State, a 6 p.m. kickoff up at Husky Stadium in Seattle. I can't wait to be there for it. The TreeCast is making the road trip up to the Pacific Northwest. Looking forward to being up there myself. And I know I know where I'll be on Saturday evening. I'll be sitting right next to our guest on the TreeCast. You know him as the former Stanford quarterback and the current radio color commentator for the Stanford Radio Network in his 11th year, I believe, calling games uh, for Stanford, along with play-by-play man Scott Reese. Todd Huzak is going to be our guest here on the TreeCast. We'll start picking his brain a little bit. Coming up in just a few minutes, as, as it's always good, I always enjoy We We try to do this once a year uh, on the show. It's always good to pick his brain uh, specifically on how things are working offensively, how things are working with the quarterback position, and, and what sort of things to watch going forward for Stanford as we start to head down the stretch. I couldn't think of anyone better to chat with uh, than Todd Huzak, and it was a pleasure to catch up with him uh, this week. You'll hear that conversation coming up in just a few minutes. A couple of quick reminders. Hi, I'm Troy Clarity. Follow me on Twitter, would you? That would be a nice thing to do. At Troy Clarity. The last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. At Troy Clarity. That's the way to follow me. To have your voice heard on Stanford football on the show, do a couple of things. Number one, also via Twitter, give me a hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast with your column on the show on Stanford football on anything you want to talk about. But you know your, your chances of having your tweet potentially read on the show uh, are, are increased greatly if they do focus on Stanford football. And the show. Thanks a bunch. I appreciate that. That by far is the best way uh, to ensure that I will see uh, what your what your thoughts are and what you're thinking. And also, don't forget, we are on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Subscribe, rate, 
and review the show if you haven't done so already. It's November, man. Clock's ticking. We're starting to get to the end of the regular season here. So if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? <laughs> the season's winding down. Uh, thanks to those of you who subscribed. Thanks to those of you who have given stellar reviews and ratings on the show. I appreciate that, and I trust that, the, that those are honest reviews, and that makes me feel um, even, even better. Well, here we go. Stanford versus Washington. Cardinal get on the plane on Friday and head up to the rainy Pacific Northwest to take on the Washington Huskies. Huskies were expected to be carrying the banner for the Pac-12 when the season began. Uh, season did not get off to a good start as they lost against Auburn in a much-anticipated matchup. A lot of stakes uh, placed on that uh, opening week uh, game down in Atlanta. Uh, Washington shot themselves in the foot, particularly in goal line situations that day. And even though they have had some flashes where they look pretty good, ask BYU for their thoughts on the Huskies. Overall, it's been a very disappointing season for UW. Bitter, bitter loss at Oregon. Missing the last second field goal at the end of regulation and then losing in overtime to the Ducks, who for a brief moment were the hottest team in college football, and then they went to Pullman and got thumped. And then I, 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 I saw the replay of this game, and I still can't figure it out. Washington losing to Cal last week, 12-10, to 12-10. to 10. I, I still can't believe that that game went down as it did. I still can't believe that Stanford's game went down as it did last week to Washington State. It was a lot of fun. It was entertaining. It was kind of like a, like a flashback back to the 90s or something when Stanford was going in uh, against an overmatched opponent. And they had to throw the ball, throw the rock all over the place in order to have a chance to succeed. It almost worked. But Washington State kicked a late field goal with 19 seconds to go to win it 41-38. to And the main subplot coming out of that game was the Stanford approach offensively against the Cougars. And some of the things that, that Stanford was looking to do right from jump. We talked about this on Sunday's TreeCast. Cardinal throwing the ball, throwing the ball on 12 of their first 13 plays on the evening. Costello completing 34 passes, throwing for 43 passes. No Cardinal, no, no Cardinal quarterback has, has put up those kinds of single-game numbers uh, in a single contest in quite a while. And the Cardinal looked pretty good doing it. So I, I want to play for you a brief snippet. It's about a three-minute clip from David Shaw's weekly press conference that he holds at the Ariaga Family Sports Center on Tuesday mornings. And it includes a bit of an exchange. Um, you know, Tom Fitzgerald from the San Francisco Chronicle starts it off with his question, and then then you'll hear a little bit, uh, a couple of questions, a couple of follow-ups from a Jacob Rayburn from uh, Rivals.com. But, but of, of course, everyone in the room wanted to, to know a bit more about why we finally saw Stanford doing some of the things that, that a lot of fans have been clamoring for to, to, to see them do why it finally took until until game number eight for the Cardinal to get there. Here, here's David Shaw and his thoughts on why they waited till Washington State to take a new offensive approach and what this could potentially mean for the Cardinal going forward. It's a very difficult scheme. It's hard to run the ball against those guys. The lateral movement, the speed and athleticism they have up front, I thought one of our strengths um, this year, especially early on, was in pass protection. Uh, you combine those two things with the fact that you know, our running backs have been banged up a little bit. Um, but 
going back to last year's game, we thought we had some matchups in our favor outside, receivers and tight ends. And I wanted to make sure that we came out of this game not feeling the same way like we left bullets in the chamber, you know, left, left uh, you know, good plays uncalled. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we went out there and stayed on the attack and um, gave ourselves an opportunity to score some points, but in such a way also that we kept, kept the ball. Um, we weren't just launching balls downfield the whole game, but it was still a control the clock as much as we can, keep their offense off the field as much as we can, um, and find a way to get down there and score touchdowns. And for the most part, um, that game plan, uh, first half especially, uh, worked very well. From week to week, there's no certainty as to how much is going to be passed or run, obviously, and that's something Costello talked about after the game. But something he and Burkett said they liked was the pace of how quickly they got up there, how much time they had to see Washington State shifts. When you went back and watched the game, how much did it help that the guys get in the rhythm? I think it helped a lot. Um, the fact that it wasn't just that we were going fast, is that we were controlling the pace. Some of it was fast, some of it was slow. Some of it we'd get up and snap the ball, some of it would get up and dummy count for a little bit um, to get them to do their shifts and their movement so that we can identify the front. Um, so I think it was a good, uh, and they did a good job of executing, of, of, of being at the line of scrimmage and showing them um, that we were ready to snap the ball even when we didn't plan on snapping it quickly. I think that was big. Um, I think, like I said, after the game, we've been good in the two-minute uh, pretty much all year. Um, KJ Costello's very good at the line of scrimmage. Um, I don't know if we slowed down the pass rush. I don't know if we was something we weren't anticipating. Um, but I think our guys went out there and executed it well. That's something that, again, regardless of how much you run or pass out of it, you see as being repeatable going forward from this past game. To a certain degree, yes, to a certain degree. Um, you know, different environment now going up to Washington. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be a little cold. Um, it's going to be really loud. Uh, we'll see how much we do it up there. Um, but at the same time, I think it, it's, it can be part of what we do. Uh, once again, it's like you said, run and pass. That's David Shaw and his explanation for why we finally, finally saw some of the things uh, from the Stanford offense uh, from a scheme standpoint, from a concept standpoint, and from a production standpoint. Uh, that we had quite honestly been waiting for uh, for much of the entire year. And I, I, I found a couple of things interesting. Number one, I really liked his comments on pace. And, and, and you'll note and you'll remember, you know, Stanford was getting up to the line of scrimmage quickly, but that doesn't mean that they were running at a breakneck, you know, Chip Kelly, Oregon-style pace. You know, they were getting up to the line of scrimmage quickly because they wanted to see what Washington State would do uh, to see what they would stem into, what they would stun into, or what they would, what, what sort of pre-snap shifts uh, they, would, they would do, and then determine things from there. So, smart move there. Also knowing that, that Washington State and that Speed D, as they call themselves, it probably uh, would have not been a smart move to try to, to, try, to, try to ground it out uh, against a quicker opponent, so so I I, I I like the logic there, and I appreciate that, and and I did as I mentioned, you know, really like his comments on pace because that that's important too. You know, it wasn't just a breakneck speed because sometimes you can you can run too fast, 
especially if you're in certain situations where you're trying to run down the clock and trying to bleed down the clock, and then all of a sudden you go three and out, you only take 20 seconds uh, in time of possession, then the other team has the ball, then they're driving for a winning score. I've seen that happen many times. Of course, sometimes you can go a bit too slowly, too. Think back to what happened in Tempe, and what almost happened in Tempe with the Cardinal a couple of weeks ago. But pace so critical, and pace can be used as a weapon. We've seen Stanford do this from time to time where pace and tempo can be used as a weapon. That was nice to see. However, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this, and I'm also, and he also, you know, explained this in his postgame press conference after after Stanford lost to, to Washington State last Saturday. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this and I'm seeing and I'm and I'm going, okay, all right, this all makes sense. But where was all of this before? Why did it take until this long for Stanford to kind of to try to find that extra gear? Now, granted, they had been productive against Utah. It was, you know, there were a lot of yardage. A lot of yardage got piled up, and they just weren't effective in the red zone, and that killed them. And Stanford looked very, very nice throughout the third quarter against Arizona State. We've talked about that. And the Cardinals had flashes throughout the season, but they haven't they hadn't committed to turning up the tempo and quickening up the pace and then using pace as a weapon until last week. Would have loved to have seen that on a few more occasions earlier in the year. Will it be something that we see going forward? I mean, look, Washington, you know, not as reliant on speed defensively uh, than the Cougs are. They're every they're they're more physical than than Washington State is, but they're not as frightening. I don't think. Certainly not one of the the more frightening squads out there and then they've had a major problem uh, forcing turnovers they just they they just have they just have buzzard luck in getting turnovers can't kill nothing won't nothing not won't nothing die Stanford's been there before too but now that Stanford has proven that it can play this kind of ball especially while the offensive line uh continues to struggle somewhat at the running back position, especially while the running backs are banged up. Bryce Love, not 100%. Trevor Spates, as I speak, his availability is in some question. As he came off late against Washington State with an upper arm injury. So his, so his availability for the, for the Huskies is, is a bit in question, too. So perhaps from a personnel standpoint, we might see a little bit more of what we saw from a scheme standpoint for Stanford against the Huskies. On Saturday. Granted, it will be cold. It will be rainy. I'm looking at the Seattle forecast right now for Saturday. And it says rain showers and a high of 54 and a low of 52. And already I'm starting to think about trying to find rain gear in my closet that I haven't worn since March. So will weather perhaps affect things a little bit? Who knows? Who knows? If it gets a bit too rainy, it just might. Just might. So it's going to be a very intriguing contest, as it always is, between Stanford and Washington. 
talked about those things and a lot more with a guy I always enjoy talking Stanford football with, and it's a real treat and a real pleasure to uh, to be sitting next to him during Stanford football games in the Stanford Radio Network uh, booth at all home games and, you know, at the road games I can make, my Pac-12 network schedule permitting. But it's always a pleasure to hang out and catch up with Todd Huzak, the former Stanford quarterback and the current radio color commentator for the Stanford Football Radio Network. Here's my chat with Todd Huzak. All right, Todd, let's go back to Saturday's result against Washington State. First off, let's start here. What were you thinking at halftime of that game after what you had seen in the first half and Stanford offensively, the things that the, the concepts that we'd seen them run that we haven't really seen them run very often over the past few years? What were some of the, I've never seen you quite that happy in the booth. You know, what were some of the things that were going through your mind at halftime? Well, number one, the very first thing that was going through my mind when halftime ended was the clock operator royally <laughs> messed up. I still don't know how they were able to get a playoff in less than five seconds and kick the field goal right before <laughs> halftime, but uh, I digress. I think what struck me was Stanford's approach to the game where all season, really most of David Shaw's career, Stanford has been a run-first team to set up the pass. He, he would prefer to, I think, run the ball 60-plus percent of the time. And in Stanford's good years, they were effective in doing that. They controlled the clock. They ate up yards. Uh, they wore out defenses. And – on the flip side, Stanford's defense was really good and could keep the other team off the field. I think this season has been different. If you compare this year's team to the rest of David Shaw's teams that he's had at Stanford, they do not have a great pass rush. Stanford has not been able to get to the quarterback consistently. Other teams have been able to control the clock, and Stanford has been not very good on first down, especially running. Stanford is the second-worst team in the conference rushing the ball behind Washington State, and Washington State doesn't really try to run the ball. So um, I think Stanford, it was good to see them take a different approach, and it was a really effective approach because they were throwing the ball underneath. They were getting um, yards after the catch. They were putting pressure on defenses. They were spreading it around to running backs and tight ends and wide receivers. And if you look at it, without Bryce Love, 100%, and really Bryce Love I don't think has been nearly – the Bryce Love we saw last year. I don't think anybody could be the Bryce Love sure. we saw last year, but to have Stanford taking advantage of its its best matchups, which are the wide receivers and tight ends, and then you can spread the ball around to the running backs, but to see them create some um, indecision on the defense, and I think catch them a little off guard, have a defense on its heels, is something we haven't seen at all this year. So I think that's why I was – we were talking about it right before. This is fun. This is a fun game to watch. Stanford is doing things offensively that we haven't seen this year, and they're putting up yards. I mean, Stanford had 26 first downs, I think, against Washington State. The average for the season had been 16. Uh, that's, that's not very good football. Um, so I, I, it was a fun product to watch. They came up a little short. I still am upset with the clock operator. But um, I, I think if Stanford takes that approach the rest of the year, they will have much more success than we saw in the first half. Yeah, it was interesting hearing David Shaw's rationale for going to that, uh, that approach against Washington State, saying that it actually started last year in Pullman where they felt like they left a lot of bullets in the chamber. And so this year they felt with the speed D, it might be a bit counterproductive to run, you know, head first and do them with their lateral quickness uh, to try to, you know, to, to go to that, that kind of approach, which is fine and dandy. And I understand that at all. But a lot of me is also saying, well, heck, 
why didn't we see things like this much sooner? What's your reaction to that? Well, you go back to last season. Stanford did not travel well. The offense was – I don't think Stanford had 200 yards of offense against Washington State or Oregon State. So, yeah, I think they did leave some bullets in the chamber last year against those teams. But you can be – if I get that Stanford wants to be a power run team, but if – Stanford has really not been able to reset the line of scrimmage and dictate what they want to do. Stanford has not been able to call a play and run it effectively, especially between the tackles runs, consistently all season. They've been very inefficient – especially first downs, especially first plays of drives. And they've so that puts you behind. It makes it a lot tougher when it's second and 12 to pick up the first down, and Stanford really hasn't been able to do that. You go back to what they did last Saturday against the Cougars, six, seven, eight yards on first down. That makes everything so much easier. You can open up the playbook. You can attack certain players. You can get the ball to certain players. Um, and really, I mean, Stanford did a great job spreading it around. You look at the number of catches between Trent Irwin and J.J. Sega-Whiteside and Caden Smith. Those three players should be getting eight catches a game, they should, every game. But that's only possible if you're getting 26 first downs and you're running 75 plays instead of the 16 first downs and 56 plays, which they had averaged through the first half of the season. So I like. I, clearly they did some self-scouting, came up to the same you know, realizations that I think fans had had for the first half of the season attack defenses differently be better on first downs and you will Stanford's defense has been very ineffective in getting to the quarterback as evidence I got to break down the numbers but you start with Oregon I think teams have completed close to 80 percent of their passes against Stanford's defense that's not very good so they're going to have to outscore teams that's actually what we saw Saturday, I think, is what a lot of people expected the whole season to look like. Stanford utilizing its excellent offensive talent and trying to outscore teams. Um, because outside of Paulson and Debo, the line, we've seen some good plays from Okariki and Barton, but no Alfieri. Uh, the defensive line has not been um, super effective in getting to the quarterback. So the defense has struggled to consistently get into the backfield, create negative plays. So it's really going to come down to the offense outscoring teams. Mixed results, obviously, last week against Washington State. Uh, Stanford, you know, maybe didn't play its, its best four quarters at Arizona State, but they got the win, a road win in the Pac-12. Those are obviously uh, super valuable and have a lot of currency. Uh, coming off those two results, how are you feeling about things now as opposed to how you were feeling about things after the Utah game almost a month ago? You go back to the Utah game, Stanford moved the ball pretty effectively. They just didn't score. The pick six inside the opponent's 15, following interception inside the opponent's 10, those are things you just cannot do. But they, they actually moved the ball pretty well. Um, I feel much better about Stanford's schedule. The last, <laughs> you know, at Washington is no easy task, but Cal, Oregon State, UCLA – um, are teams that have not played at a high level so far this season. So I like how they finished the season. But I think if Stanford comes out with the same approach they did against Washington State, defensive coordinators are worried all of a sudden. That has not been the case this year. Teams have attacked Stanford's offense. They have gotten in the backfield. Anytime, like you go back to what Arizona State did, their, their goal was clearly if a guard was pulling, they were going to go into the backfield and blow the guard up and take their chances. I think they ran power six times. If I was counting live, I think all six went for negative yards. Power has been Stanford's most productive play over the last decade. So teams have figured that part out. 
I like the Stanford's run game approach against Washington State. A lot more zone, a lot more double teams at the point of attack, not pulling as much. Um, a little more misdirection, a lot more play action than we saw the first half of the season. All of a sudden, K.J. Costello scrambling, which is another added dimension that we did not see literally at all for the first six weeks of the season. I think he had one carry through six weeks. So all of those things add up to our defensive coordinator. Wow, I, I got Stanford through the out route, by the way. Stanford does not throw out routes in his, like over the last decade. So little things like that put pressure on a defensive coordinator and how they prepare. They can't play outside, they can't play inside leverage knowing that Stanford runs in breaking routes all the time. All of a sudden they run an out route and they get beat yards after the catch. All right, and now defensive coordinators have to adjust. I thought that was the first time all season where defense was on its heels and Stanford, it wasn't just our guys are bigger, stronger, faster and can make a tough catch in you know tight coverage or in traffic. The guys were open. KJ Costello was really good. He was able to hit his back foot he had open players, and he put the ball on the money. And then the run game was going for six and seven yards of carry, which we haven't seen. So I think the, what Stanford fans and, and we have in the booth been talking about is run for, or pass first to open up the run. And for the first time all season, we saw it, and it was Stanford's best offensive game of the year. What have you seen from KJ over the course of this season? What are some areas in particular where you think that, that, that he's grown and some areas that you think that he still needs to, to make progress in? When he hits his back foot and throws the ball, I mean, he, he has a really strong arm. I think he's very accurate. He throws the seam routes and the back shoulder throws as well as anybody in the conference, mostly because that's all he's been able to throw. I mean, that's, <laughs> you look at his long completions down the field, Stanford does not go over the top very often. Osiris St. Brown has been the one big playmaker, and we've seen him. But most of Stanford's 15-yard-plus catches have been back shoulder throws or J.J. Orsega-Whiteside just being bigger and better than everybody else. Um, but against Washington State, he showed the out route. Um, we haven't seen him throw on the run very often, and I don't know if that's by design uh, for Stanford. I think he can do it. I think he's the athletic you know, he, he doesn't have a long release, so typically those guys can throw pretty well on the run. The mechanics don't get influenced very often. Um, we have seen him run a little bit more, which was good. I think he, he is a good athlete, so to see that part of the game evolve. Uh, he has, I think, coming into the season, I think he does a great job of feeling the rush, subtly moving in the pocket, keeping his eyes down the field, and throwing a strike. Tom Brady is the best that I've ever seen do that. Joe Montana, of course, people will know here in the Bay Area, but it's the subtle, quick one-two step to his right, step up in the pocket, throw a strike. Not scramble out to his right and the play breaks down. It's staying within the offensive system and throwing the ball on time. Uh, he, going through his progressions, he seems to not be great. Right? He, if he comes off the first one, all right, now I have to reset my feet and go to number two. Number three, he's not always super accurate. Um, that's true, I think, with a lot of quarterbacks. You have to reset your feet and go through the progression. But when he's able to hit his back foot, know where he's going pre-snap, reads the defense properly, and gets the ball out of his hands, I think he's as good as there is in the conference. I, Justin Herbert is good, really good. Um, I think K.J. Costello would match up pretty darn well against Herbert in that same situation, like a combine workout where you need to show accuracy, arm strength, all those things. I think he matches up pretty well. Gardner Minshew seems to be. <laughs> yeah, good He was impressive. 40, 40 of 50 for 400-plus yards. Um, I mean, a guy that came out of nowhere yeah. off the scrap heap. I mean, he was going to go be a GA to leading the country in passing. I was super impressed with his ability. 
Uh, I love, you go back the last two weeks, there are two huge plays for Washington State. There was a fourth and like four from Oregon's like 40-yard line. Leach goes for it, of course. And they call an out route. Inside slot receiver runs a 10-yard out route, and he put that ball right on the – that says pressure a play in that situation when they have college game day mm-hmm. and all those fans. He called – he put a lot of pressure on Minshew, and Minshew threw a perfect strike. Go back to Stanford. It's third and a couple late in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. They did not call a quick out. They, they called a pass down the field. He made the right read, their wide receiver on Sean Barton, and he put the ball right where it had to be. I mean, he – that's as impressive as it. he's really accurate on the swing routes. He puts the ball almost always one foot in front of the receiver where they can catch and run. But his ability to make pressure throws in tight coverage, put the ball right where it has to be. I, I mean, you can you can see his swagger, the way he sort of approaches the game, and the way his teammates love him. Not much affect affects that kid, and I think he absolutely is deserving of being in the top two for the Heisman right now. So you never went out during the pregame warm-up with your shirt off and start throwing the balls around or anything like that? I did not, no. <laughs> I mean, you, he, did, he was. It was. Two hours before the game, he had his shirt off. He's out there warming up. Uh, it was a beautiful day. But I think he's – to be that close to being out of football – his career was essentially over, right? It, he was going to go be a graduate assistant in Alabama, and Mike Leach called him and said, come lead the nation in passing. You've got to imagine he's appreciating every second he has. I mean, I – what I wouldn't give for one more series, let alone a season like he's having uh, in a place that, listen, Pullman is different than every other place in the Pac, well, Corvallis maybe, but it's different from most other places in the Pac-12 and the country, and they love a winner. I mean, we saw it with game day. There's not a more passionate fan base that wants it more, certainly in the Pac-12, uh, than what we've seen in Washington State, and they're enjoying it, and he is enjoying it. Um, and it's not over yet. I mean, they, that Apple Cup is going to be something else. You had some fantastic weapons in your playing days at Stanford. Of course, the great Troy Walters, Durrani Pitts, Dave Davis, uh, Russell Stewart at tight end. To be you, still had some had some had some flashes every once in a while. How would you compare and contrast the guys you threw to to the weapons that Stanford has from a receiving standpoint this year? I don't think we ever had. Well, I know we didn't have anybody close to being as physically dominant, like physically imposing as J.J. Orsega-Whiteside, and that's not disparaging my guys. I don't know if there's ever been a wide receiver like Calvin Johnson was pretty darn good at Georgia Tech. Um, He's probably faster than Orsega-Whiteside, but you know, just and that I'm saying that because we really haven't seen Orsega-Whiteside run by anybody. I mean, most of the plays that Stanford throws it to him uh, is in tight coverage. I think Osiris St. Brown is a lot like Dave Davis, long and rangy and athletic and fast and can beat most one-on-one matchups. I mean, Osiris St. Brown, we have seen him fly by corners and safeties. He has Every time they've thrown him the ball deep down the field, he's been open. Um, I think Weddington is a lot like uh, Durrani Pitts, sort of same build, great in the slot, very good quickness, great body control, strong hands. Disappointing that we haven't seen more of him this year. I think he would have been – a, a great component for that offense. Um, and, and, you know, Trent Irwin has his skill set. Arcega Whiteside has his, his skill set. I think Weddington really fills kind of a, a niche there. Mm-hmm. Um, the tight ends that they have. Caden Smith is, is Zach Ertz, in my opinion. I think he's every bit as good as Zach Ertz, who is on pace to set a record for catches in the NFL by a tight end in a single season. I mean, he's, I think he's that special. And, listen, Russell Stewart, great friend of mine. Steve Cochran, great friend of mine. They were outstanding. Colby Parkinson is really good. Like, he's, he adds a different dimension, not as good as blockers 
as uh, Russell Stewart, but I mean, he's a 6'7", 250-pound body who can run by safeties. Not, not many of those guys. I mean, I, I said it at the beginning of the season, even without a healthy Bryce Love, certainly the skill position players minus the running back, this is as good as Stanford's had in a long time, maybe ever. Now, the three wide receivers we had four, if you go to Tafiti Uso on the tight end in 99, were pretty darn good. Uh, Troy finished his career most catches and yards in Pac-10 history. Durrani finished his career with most catches and yards in Pac-10 history. So I was spoiled. But I think this group is every bit as talented as them. It's a quarterback's dream to be able to look at those mismatches across the board and just pick your spot. Who's single covered, and how can I get him the ball? Flip it over the other side of the ball uh, for a moment. Uh, defensively, first three games looked like things were on point. Been a bit of a struggle since then. The, the fact that Stanford has now given up 30-plus points now four times in a season uh, since the second for, for only the second time since since 2009. The last time was 2015, which kind of surprised me. And Stanford went to the Rose Bowl that year, but still 30 plus points four times this year, and the year isn't even over. How much of a concern is that to you at this point? Well, I think you look at the talent that Stanford has lost. You know, Harrison Phillips left early. Reed left early. Meeks left early. I mean, those those three guys added a much different dimension to Stanford's defense this year. Uh, I think Paulson and Debo is a no-brainer top 10 NFL type talent um, at corner where Stanford has struggled and they got I think not exposed this is the right word but teams started attacking the middle of the field putting their wide receivers on Stanford safeties and linebackers and the way Stanford plays their defense and matches up you're going to see a lot of that teams have really attacked the middle of the field we haven't seen as much on the perimeter Arizona State did throw it by uh, Elijah Holder a couple times who is not the same player that he was before the injury Still really good, leading tackler against Washington State. Um, but I think teams can pick their spots and design plays to attack the middle of the field, and that's where Stanford struggled. You go to the run defense, too. I mean, Stanford in its prime, when they Stanford had the number, usually the number one defense in the conference, one of the top ten defenses in the country for like five straight years. They were a lot of tackles for loss, and they really were good against the run, which forced teams to be one-dimensional, and that – was how they did it. Like, all right, we're going to take away the run in the first quarter. Teams just start throwing it. Also, the offense for Stanford was putting pressure because they could score points. So teams felt they need to keep up and would just throw it a lot. Uh, teams can run the ball effectively against Stanford. And having that, uh, there's a lot of good running backs in the conference. There's a lot of good offenses in the conference. Um, and, I mean, teams have attacked it. I thought their game plan against Arizona State was really good. Um, maybe the best all season, even though he threw for a lot of yards. Nikhil Harry was shut down. Stanford was able to get some into the backfield, some. But, I mean, the numbers are the, – the rate at which quarterbacks are completing passes is astounding. I guarantee you it is hard – I don't think there's a team in the conference that has completed 80% of their passes in seven-on-seven, seven, like this <laughs> season. Like, you could take all the practices, seven-on-seven, seven, meaning no lineman, no pass rush. It's hard to complete 80%, and we've seen it now – Three times in the last five games. Twice, definitely. Minshew. Four, Minshew was forty. Minshew was 50. yeah. Minshew was forty of fifty. And then in regulation. Three guys have done it seventy-five percent or more. If you want to extend it to Ian Book, well, he was a seventy-three percent. Seventy-three. Okay, so that that's what I was thinking. I wasn't sure where he was. And then uh, in regulation, Herbert was like twenty-five yeah. of twenty-seven. Yeah. So that's it's amazing actually how teams have efficiently attacked Stanford in the passing game. Um, and where we saw they had successes when they won the turnover battle. And 
Arizona State felt some pressure, forced it down the field in the coverage. They were able to create some fumbles. That Stanford almost has to. If you're going to give up that many yards and points and let teams control it, you have to get turnovers. We saw it in 99. Mm-hmm. Stanford literally had the worst defense in the country through all but the last game of the season. Literally dead last in the country, but they were great at creating turnovers, and our offense was dangerous enough where all we needed was three extra possessions a game, and we'll outscore them more often than not. Stanford almost has to take that type of approach where blitz every play, right? Like, if you're going to give up points and yards and not get to the quarterback, figure out ways where you can. And Lance Anderson is a fantastic defensive coordinator and is a master at beating blitzes without bringing max pressure. But at some point, you just have to say, you know what, we need to create negative plays and turnovers, and we're willing to give up big plays. Um, but we need to get the def- uh, the offense back the ball. A couple last questions for you here. I want to start to spin it forward towards Washington, the Huskies. Similar to Stanford in the sense that they're also in a position that they probably didn't think that they would be in at this point in the season, playing for second at best right now in the Pac-12 North, as are the Cardinal, and coming off of a, a head-scratching loss against Cal last week. Uh, your initial read on, on the Huskies and some things that we might see on Saturday. We, we talked about it in the pregame against Washington State. Jake Browning has taken bigger steps backwards than maybe any quarterback I've ever seen. He, he was incredible as a sophomore, like a Heisman-worthy type season, I think 48 touchdowns, four picks. He has been below average, I've thought, the last couple seasons where he had a ton of talent around him. John Ross is, I mean, going back to his season, he was a difference maker, and, and maybe they've struggled to replace that personnel, but he throws it into coverage. He's not feeling the, the rush as much. Um, the run game hasn't been as good, I think, the last couple of years, which has maybe put more pressure on him. Um, and I think that's hurt. That's hurt them to score that few points against Cal when you're Washington. I mean, that Washington, you would think of them as just a dominant. He's also they they lost their two best offensive linemen this season too. It's tough to experience those type. And Gaskin has been hurt. So you look at that. Certainly, it has not been as easy for them as years past. But you would expect Browning. I mean, he's played a lot of football. He is, I think, their their best passer. Like. I think he has a ton of records at UW, um, which has a pretty good history of quarterback. Mm-hmm. For him to be that inconsistent, I think is a good word to describe him as a senior, is fascinating. He got pulled. He got pulled against Cal. Um, a guy who started that many games and a guy who clearly him and Peterson have a great relationship. Um, and Peterson has a great history of working with quarterbacks and getting efficient play and pushing the ball down the field. Um, that's been surprising. Uh, listen, they're going to be ready to go. That is a really tough place to play, as we learned two years ago on that beautiful Friday evening um, where Stanford did not come out ready. Uh, I think Stanford's going to be ready, too. This, is, this has been a challenging season for the Cardinal on a, in a lot of ways. Injury, I've never seen a Stanford team this injured, ever. Um, but I think that the opportunity is still there. You beat Washington, you win your last three. You know, let's figure out where the cards lay at the end of the season. They don't control their destiny, but they can still accomplish some of the goals that they set out to. And, you know, who knows? We've seen stranger things happen. Um, there's still a slim chance Stanford could win the North, uh, but it starts with a win in Seattle. Stanford has been able to do something that a lot of other teams haven't been able to do. Win on the road at Oregon, although look what it took, but also at Arizona State as well. As, as we wrap this up here, whenever you walk into Husky Stadium, even now, does your mind still flash back to 
to, to that game. I, I see the, the disdain on your face yeah. already. That game, 99, Marcus Tuiasasopo and, and, and that day. That was – how many games have been played in the history of NCAA football? That has happened one time. A quarterback ran for 200-plus and thrown for 300-plus in the same game. Um, that was an amazing performance by Tui. He got hurt on the first drive, by the way. I think he bruised his tailbone on the first drive of the game, and Stanford still – Struggled to, to slow him down, let alone stop him. On the flip side, we had some opportunities on offense that we didn't capitalize on. I still remember a couple throws down the seam that I wish I had back. One where Steve Cochran was wide open and one that I forced. The play before halftime where Brian Allen, they called him out of bounds on a run up the sideline. He was not out of bounds. The replay showed, um, and they took the points off the board right before half, so we had to settle and kick a field goal. Um, so there's a few... That, that game does hurt. Uh, the good news is we came back, won the conference, but that win up there would have been pretty special. We would have controlled our own destiny and got in. Um, that was our only Pac-12 lot. We would have been undefeated in the Pac-10 um, and cruised into the Rose Bowl. Didn't work out that way. That's that's a tough place to play. I think you look at what Tuiasopo did. Yeah, it happened one time. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's pretty amazing, and they had a great they had a great game plan. He executed it well. A lot of option that we just did not have an answer for. I think they, their game plan that game, see which side Real Johnson is on and run the option away from him. <laughs> and it was pretty darn effective, as we all remember. Um, but we got the last laugh when we went to Pasadena. Yeah, and hopefully Stanford gets the last laugh this time around when Stanford heads up to Seattle to face the Huskies. I'll be in the building. Todd, of course, you will be in the building. Yeah, Should be, be a lot of fun. Can't wait. Yep, me too. It's always a good place to go visit. Good stuff, as always, from Todd Huzak. Hope you enjoyed uh, that chat uh, as much as uh, I did carrying it on. So uh, good stuff from him. You can also follow him him on Twitter, at Todd Huzak, as he uh, has some nuggets and some thoughts uh, from time to time that I think you as a Stanford fan would be quite interested in. But uh, we're both looking forward to this game on Saturday and why not. We're both uh, very intrigued to see if the Stanford defense can get after Jake Browning or whomever the quarterback might be. Uh, Browning has been announced as the starter, but after he got yanked midway through Jake, for Jake Hayner, uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows how Chris Peterson is, uh, is, is approaching his quarterback situation right now. And I think it's, I, I think it's interesting because you look at where these two teams are, are, are entering into this week. They both lost, but Stanford, I'm sure, feels much better about itself coming off the loss than Washington does right now. I have no idea where the Huskies are going to be mentally right now. Where they should be is thinking about it in terms of, hey, you know, we got the Stanford Cardinal coming home, get revenge for what Stanford did to them last year, playing in front of a, of a Husky Stadium crowd that is going to be ideally in full throat and, and ready to support the Huskies and, and make sure that Stanford bows down to Washington and they're going to try to strike back in anger at some of the things and some of the disappointments that have befallen the Huskies and, and taking them down from where they thought they might be at this point in the season. That's where the Huskies should be mentally, but I don't know if they're going to be there it, or, or if they're going to be at the complete opposite end of it. Man, we lost to Cal. That's it. It's over. All the dreams that, that, that we had at the start of the season are all said and done. Now what do we play for? Pride? Second place? I hope that's the mental state that Washington is in, but it's not something that I 
uh, as a Stanford follower, uh, would count on, especially knowing what uh, Chris Peterson is about um, as a head coach. I, I have a, I, I sincerely doubt, sincerely doubt that, uh, that that he is going to allow his team to be in that type of in that type of uh, in that type of mindset entering Saturday evening. But still, Stanford, despite its loss last week, has to be feeling a lot better about itself. Number one, because of what it did offensively has to feel better about itself in its road game resume. Hey, they got wins over Oregon and Arizona State. All right? That's big. That's big, especially that win over Oregon, looming especially large now for both the Cardinal and the Ducks. And the defense, ideally, is going to have a more normal set of challenges to deal with than the ones they face against Washington State. Look, it's nice to pressure Gardner Minshew, but in that scheme, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. You can get after Jake Browning a bit. You you can get after him. You can force him to, you know, you're more likely to force him to hold on to the ball, even though Stanford was able to do that in several instances throughout the first half against uh, the Cougs last week. You're much more likely to be able to do that and to limit um Jake Browning's options than you potentially were against Washington State. Unless Washington decides to to take a page from the air raid and start to air it out and fling the ball over the yard themselves. Do they have the personnel to do that? I don't think so. I don't. It's going to be a tough task, but I think Stanford might be better equipped than than they probably should be to to, to climb this hurdle uh, at, at this time at, the, at this point in the season. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what kind of mental shape the Washington Huskies are going to be in. And who knows if Stanford can put things all together, all together, everything, offense and defense and special teams as well. Put it all together for four quarters. Not just the offense, not just the defense, not just one phase of the game for for one quarter and then you hold on for dear life the rest of the way. Put it all together for four quarters. Oh, I also hope Trevor Spates is back and ready to pass protect too. That would be really nice. That would be really, really nice. You know, for, for forget him just running the ball, all right? Although that would be great as well. But I his his true worth and his true value is in pass protection. Would be really nice to see number 23 out there helping in those efforts as well. Stanford versus Washington. The winner stays within distance of the Washington State Cougars in the Pac-12 North. The loser can probably start thinking about, I don't know, the Red Box Bowl, the Cheez-It Bowl, whatever. I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to be thinking about those kind of scenarios. I'd rather not be thinking about those kind of scenarios when I'm getting on the plane and heading back to the Bay Area on Sunday morning. But yes, the tree cast will be at Husky Stadium. Looking forward to being up there this week. This has been my first time actually watching a football game up there. Gosh, it's 96. I've been there a couple times, but the, the joint's been empty. And obviously, I've been to up uh, to Washington on, on, a, on a handful on, on numerous occasions with my Pac-12 network duties uh, with soccer and baseball and, and with other sports as well. But I haven't been up there for a football game in 22 years. So I'm looking forward to it. And, of course, we will be in the locker room, the Stanford locker room afterwards. We'll bring you the post-game interviews 
um, after that is all said and done. So looking forward to uh, taking the tree cast on the road. That is always, always fun. You have thoughts on how things are going to go. You have thoughts on the show. You have thoughts on Stanford football. I would love to hear them. I always welcome them. I always love to be as interactive on these shows as I can possibly be. Hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. That's the way to go. Hashtag TreeCast. Also, give me a follow at Troy Clarity on Twitter. And don't forget to uh, subscribe. Subscribe to the show. Subscribe it. Then rate it. Rate it honestly. If you don't like the show, that's cool. Let me know what we can do to improve things in the, in the home stretch of the Stanford football regular season. If you love the show, awesome. Tell us and tell everybody. But subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Special thanks to our guest once again, Todd Huzak. Always, always uh, enjoy catching up with him. And hopefully, uh, in the spirit of Halloween, I didn't bring up some of his worst nightmares by bringing up that game at Washington back in 1999. Every once in a while, they replay that game on the Pac-12 network, and I still go, God, that would have been a nice one to have. But Stanford still ended up in the Rose Bowl at the end of that year. Cardinal didn't exactly control their destiny uh, the final weeks of that season. Didn't exactly control their own destiny the final weeks of last year. And they don't control their own destiny now. But sometimes works out for the best. Works out for the best. But Stanford needs to beat the Huskies this Saturday. Biggest thanks of all, of course, as always, goes out to you for checking us out on the TreeCast. We will see you on Sunday. Looking forward to it. Thank you again for joining us on the TreeCast with Troy Clare. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.